Welcome to episode number 60 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring actor, writer, and director Keith Powell. You may know him from the hit show 30 Rock, starring Tina Fey, Alec Baldwin, and Tracy Morgan, but now he has a new web series called Keith Broke His Leg, which is now available on GetBroken.com and Vimeo. Keith and I discuss his venture into this brand new comedy web series, which also features guest appearances by actors such as Aubrey Plaza. We'll delve into Keith's craft of acting, his roots in the theater community, and his perspective on diversity in media. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, you still have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software by doing all of the above. Follow us on Twitter at JogRoad, follow us on Instagram at JogRoad Productions, like our Facebook page, JogRoad Productions, subscribe to our JogRoad Productions YouTube channel, and write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. Do all of the above and you'll have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we join actor, writer, and director Keith Powell as he shares his insights into creating his new comedy web series, Keith Broke His Leg, which is now available on GetBroken.com and Vimeo. You know, for me, I, uh, first of all, I've always been a writer. I've always been a director. Um, I actually got my degree in directing at NYU. Um, uh, so I've always been a person who, who wanted to create content and wanted to kind of create my own projects with this it was out of a need that i for me to kind of share my life uh and share the details of my life in a, in a new and interesting way i i feel like that a lot of people had a preconceived notion about me and um i wanted to kind of tell stories about the whole of me rather than uh, than just one aspect that people knew knew about me. So I, I the 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 show is is kind of like my way of um, telling stories about um, you know the kind of the growth that I have had as a person um, and as an artist in the past two or three years. And were you building it around what you knew you had, knowing that you were going to shoot in your house, knowing mm-hmm. that you were going to do yeah. that? Did you create the concept sort of around what resources you had available? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you know, because the premise was so autobi- autobiographical, it just made everything easier. Um, and it, I never really con- con- confined myself to the house. It's just most of my life happens in my house and I knew that I was going to shoot here there was uh, a um, a pact that I had to sign with my wife where she told me that there was only a maximum amount of three crew members that are allowed in the house so that you know a whole bunch of people wouldn't overrun the house so as it pretty much was just three people yeah it was about three or four people Um, um, yeah it was about a, a crew of three or four people so that everything didn't feel you know kind of like an over, over overrun so actually shooting in my house was at sometimes a disadvantage just because we had such a small crew so it was just the sound person your dp and yeah there was a sound person there was a dp there was a, an assistant camera 
Uh, the DP was, was the, the cameraman as well. Uh, but there was an assistant camera guy, and then there was a PA sometimes. Sometimes there would be a PA, sometimes there would be an assistant camera guy. Um, you know, so we had like a swing. Uh, and how much prep did you do before shooting? Were you detailed about shot lists and storyboarding? Um, for the first six episodes, I was. Uh, we just shot six more episodes, and I wasn't like uh, I wasn't as detailed because we kind of knew what the, the 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 show was, and we kind of knew how we wanted to kind of shoot the show and the, and the style of it. So it it became a little easier. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did a lot of preparing for the first six just because we didn't know what, what beast we had. Yeah, and um, I was curious too, um, acting and directing at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I always wonder, how is that possible? Like, how do you sort of take yourself <laughs> out of it to either give notes and right. realize sort of how you're fitting into the whole piece? Well, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Um, I'm not gonna lie that it was a balancing act. Um, really, like the entire thing, and this is this is something that I very much learned from Tina Fey on Thirty Rock because I had asked her how is it that she juggles all these hats and seems to stay stay so calm and sane in the middle of it all, and she said to me once that I just look down at my feet and put one put one in front of the other and I don't lift my head up until I reach the destination, and and that's kind of really what what this the process was like for me as a director and an actor um very often it would be all right i'm gonna i'm going to be an actor i'm going to be an actor fully and then i do what i need to do as an actor fully and then i step out of it and go i'm a director and i need to be the director fully and i step out of that and just so just kind of ch like changing hats in that way and and being completely present in the moment when you're doing the work, the specific work that you need to do for that, you know, whatever that moment calls for. Um, Is it ever hard if you have a note for the other actor, you sort of see that they're going in the wrong direction and you're sort of... In it's it's really, really hard. I mean, what I, on a bigger crew, because I've directed myself before in things, but I've never had a crew this small. And on a bigger crew, I normally just give all of my notes and what I want to achieve for the scene to the first AD. And then the first AD talks to the other actors about what he's looking for or what I'm looking for. And so it doesn't take the actor out of it when I, you know, like if I'm an actor in the scene with you for me giving a note. Yeah. Um, but in this, we didn't have the luxury of a first AD or a middleman to do that. So it was one of those things where, you know, I, uh, we would read through the scene and I would talk about what I'd like to achieve for the scene. Um, honestly, I think that it just, it just meant a longer rehearsal period before each scene. And then when we were shooting it, I would direct in camera. Like I, I would, you know, throw out notes as the camera was rolling. And then I would direct myself in camera, which is if, like one day I'll guess I'll, I'll, I'll reveal how I do that in a weird and it look and I look kind of schizophrenic but um you know I would say all right just roll the camera and I and I do a line and I go oh, okay I'm gonna try it a different way and I'm gonna and um um so I kind of I do I do the same with myself as do well do you play it back and watch yourself after, I do after each take not at or? not after each take because we just don't have the time for that yeah but um um but I do watch the dailies every day and we do have I always give myself every shooting period 
a day for reshoots so that if there's something that we just didn't get right we can we can always go back and reshoot it and um, did you also have like sort of separate days that you wanted to do for rehearsal or sort of to block out scenes no, to make it go we, faster we normally rehearse on the day for this show I have done uh, it just depends on the project and what the project requires um, but on this show it's I, I really wanted to get a sense of um, freedom to it uh, and lived in a uh, lived in quality something that was that felt organic um, and not so staged and stagey and like you know joke 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 yeah. so we often would just rehearse on the day in the moment right before we start filming and then you know kind of let the cameras roll and see what happens even if it wasn't even if you know what we achieved in rehearsal wasn't exactly what was we were going for, we just kind of found it in you know while the cameras were rolling. Um, the the show is one hundred percent scripted, so it was a you know it's about learning the lines, but it's about kind of figuring out how the lines work in the mouths of the actors. In like in the opening of Chocolate um, with Aubrey Plaza, she's there and yeah. there's sort of a looseness to it where um, I don't know if some of that was improvised or some was scripted. Um, the it very feels like their personalities are coming out a lot. Yeah, yeah. Sense, so. <laughs> uh, well, you're, you, you have to talk, you have to understand that that is a group of people that I've known for, I want to say, the better part of 15 years, probably longer than that. So we're all really like naturally, we feel natural with each other anyway. Yeah. Um, and Aubrey and Seth, you know, they're pros and they quite understand my writing style and my rhythm. Both of them were in plays that I wrote when I was like 18 years old and they were like 12. So, um, um, so, they already understand the style of, of the piece. The first, uh, you know, the first bit of chocolate of that episode is probably improvised. Um, but, you know, once we get into, you know, the conversations about eating the weed, cookies and stuff, it is very much, yeah. uh, it is very much scripted. And it's just because I know those people and I know what voice I should write in and they know kind of how to play it and they're, you know, brilliant actors themselves. We just kind of, found it yeah. on the day I really just called Aubrey and Seth and said why don't you come over and pretend or not pretend to smoke pot and uh, have some food and we'll, something will happen Yeah, <laughs> that's how it kind of uh, I was curious in initially writing the episodes um, how personal did you want to make it um, incredibly personal, personal. Uh, the, uh, pretty much the show is pretty much 90% true None of, none of the stories happen in the exact way that they happen. It's as if all the events in my life kind of go into a blender. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty true to life and it's pretty accurate. It's just the events don't happen in that way. Uh, is there anything in the show that you feel is sort of like the most personal to you in a sense? Uh, well, I mean, you know, like being, most, being caught like... masturbating. <laughs> It's pretty personal. <laughs> um, um, no, I that mean, that really did happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we had a, we had a, um, we had a, uh, our house was being renovated, and and 
and the you know the worker there were there was a worker around who kept knocking on the door asking like for my opinion about something going on that I didn't care about. So that really did happen. But um but um I don't know is there something like really incredibly personal about it? There's there's an episode that's coming up that reveals a, a real conversation that happened between my wife and I that's very personal and that's very um, emotional uh, and both me and my wife perform it so that it, it was a it was a beautiful recreation of, of that conversation which is incredibly personal to me um, but all of these things I want to stress I don't I don't, I don't want the show to be viewed as some sort of ego trip or, or some sort of, you know, vanity project. For me, it's about telling a story and about telling a particular truth for that episode. I, that's what the, the entire show is about for me. I, I think that we're in a culture that lacks empathy. And my goal with the show is to create... Um, empathy uh, for people to think deeper about them, their lives and thereby thinking deeper about other people and, uh, and the way that they relate to other people. And, and the way that the show, I feel like, is structured is, is that um, the character of Keith reveals a truth about himself that he didn't know before in each episode. And once we build those little truths, we, we get an idea of a, of a full man and hopefully an audience can empathize with him. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how the how I want the show to to function. Um, so all the personal stories are are really just at at when I've revealed a personal thing about myself that made me think about my life in a different way. Yeah. Um, just going back to now the street oh. cleaning is coming from the other side. <laughs> now they're coming back making the around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just curious, sort of going back to you know when you knew you wanted to be an actor when you were back at NYU. Were you mainly thinking I want a career in theater? I want a career in film. What were sort of kind of your initial goals I, going I've, in? I think that every drama student wants a career in theater first because that's the most accessible thing to them. My passion had always been in television and film, it, just from the very beginning. I never thought that I was going to have a career in television and film. Why was that? I, it just, it seemed like a fairy tale to me. Um, I wanted it too much, do you know? Uh, but, but, you know, and theater was a much more accessible vehicle for me because that's, you know, all drama students work in theater at first, and so it seemed much more accessible. But, you know, if, I, if I'm being honest with myself, I, I've always wanted to be an actor in TV and film. I always wanted the, the medium of film um, to work in. I love theater, and I love doing theater. I ran a theater company for, for several years, but, um, but my real passion is, is television and film. What type of projects were you doing in your theater company? Were just original plays? Oh uh, yeah, when I when I was twenty three, I um, started a theater company in Wilmington, Delaware, that had um, Lynn Redgrave as the very first person to star in a production. It was a revival of a play called Collected Stories by 
um, um, oh my goodness, uh, Donald Margulies. Uh, oh, did he write End of the Tour recently? Donald Margulies? He did write a, a play that was recently on Broadway. He won a Pulitzer the, uh, the movie for, too, I think. Uh, oh, did he? Yeah, I think I interviewed him. Actually. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> the man is the man is a fucking genius. Yeah. Um, he won a Pulitzer for a play called Dinner with Friends, and um, I, he and I were in contact a lot while we I did collected stories. Um, he's a wonderfully kind man and very smart, uh, and a brilliant writer. So you might you you might have interviewed him. I, I I know that he's always has a yeah. It was the other uh, David Foster Wallace uh, Jason Siegel movie, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that he adapted uh, the article. Oh, did he? That it was based on. I think. So. I love that guy. I think yeah. he's now a professor at Yale or something. Yeah, that's like right. That. I spoke to him through. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I I, I love nice that guy. Oh, great. such a good guy. Yeah. Such a good guy. Um, and he was very passionate about my production of uh, Collected Stories. Um, and you know, I was 23. I didn't know what I was doing, um, but uh, but you know, Lynn Lynn came down and did it, and, and that was kind of like my masterclass. Watching her work. I mean, watching a Redgrave in a rehearsal room. It, it was it changed my life. It, it it informed my career as an actor. And what type of projects were you thinking about doing from that point on? Were you Thing about sort of self-starting plays. In a yeah, sense, I mean, I, I always wanted to, I always wanted to bring diversity to the theater. That because I don't think that the, the I think the theater lacks um, diversity, um, and that was kind of the stories that I wanted to tell and, and the way that I wanted to kind of tell them. Um, um, I, I still think that the theater, even more than television and film, l- tremendously lacks, lacks diversity. Is it, it's it's much more homogenized um, mainstream theater. Um, and it, it, it frightens me and upsets me and angers me and, and it's something that I want to see changed from Broadway and beyond I'm talking about Broadway and off-Broadway New York theater not. really um, um, New York theater really which is what is considered like mainstream theater today um, I'd like to get mainstream theater out of New York um, but you know honestly that I mean that's a fight that's a fight that I determined was someone else's fight. Uh, I, I, you know, my passion was always in television and film, and and there are so many diversity issues in television and film that that's a that's the fight that I chose to fight. Yeah. Um, so for you, what have you seen as far as diversity issues in TV and film when you entered into it, and did you think it was sort of even, you know, as you said, maybe even worse I, than theater? In a yeah. Sense, well, no, I actually think the theater is a little worse, uh, and the reason why is because uh, is the reason why is because in television and film. Uh, the diversity problems that we have is that people want to to, to, to do diversity because they realize that it's good business, but uh, but they want to pigeonhole people and put and confine diversity into something that's pal- palatable for them. And what I mean by that is the majority wants to constrict the minority into something that the that the majority is is easy to digest um and that doesn't represent fully what the minority is and it doesn't give the minority a chance to represent themselves so um so i feel like that there's a pigeonholing in television and film that happens in theater i don't think that that conversation is even happening 
Yeah. I mean, if you look at like original plays that are coming on Broadway, I mean, it's all sort of like white cat. I mean, you don't yeah. see like, a lot of right. projects. From different I, I, I think that there's a way. lack of women. Yeah. Um, a, a lack of female storytellers. I think that there's a lack of white uh, uh, of of other than uh, non-white storytellers. Um, you know, I think that the theater really gets the um, gets the diversity and vastness of the homosexual community in a way that I very much applaud and think that that they're doing a, a better job at, at fighting that than television and film is doing. But I don't think that, I think that that's as mo much of diversity as that they're going to. Because yeah. the ticket prices, I mean, it's well, like that's hundreds the of thing. dollars. So that's the thing. The, you know, the theater of. is kind of cannibalizing itself in a way. Because, um, because the ticket prices are so high that they're now only being um, that that and the in the costs to produce a play are so much, um, and the ticket prices are so high and the, the the seats are so few that you then have to create plays that a person who will pay that amount will want to go and see. And a person who plays that uh, that amount is often um, upper class, white, theater going, um, you know, arts minded audiences, um, and so you start cannibalizing it yourself because you're kind of you know chasing your own tail. You're kind of going around in a circle about who you need to appeal to and and what you want to hold back from. Yeah. Um, and you know it, it's, it frustrates me but I get the very real problem that they have um, and I don't know Maybe the way out the of it the government subsidizing theater would be I mean, the best you know, uh, I mean in, other, in Europe it's all kind of the, the standard even for film I, I mean I would love that I would really love that but I feel like we're, ba we're battling fights now over <laughs> if Muslims should be let into the country and I think that you know, subsidizing theater to, to improve our lives um, is a conversation that no one wants to have. Yeah. I think it's unfortunate. I mean, yeah. I was in Europe recently. I mean, so much is, yeah. you know, the film. That, I mean, we had the, the French Cinematheque I went to, and it was all subsidized by the government. But that's the thing, you know, be, um, I, because we live in a culture that lacks empathy, I, I think that we live in a culture that lacks empathy specifically because we don't have theater or film or TV there to challenge us and make us think more about our lives. We have um, theater and television and film there to placate us and to, and to just tell us what we already know um, and almost kind of condescend to us. And now news is also doing that. You know, we also, we now live in a culture where the news cycle is also not, you know, just, just, just there to placate us. Um, and I want to bring, not so much challenging, I want to bring thoughtfulness back to entertainment. Because you can be entertaining and thoughtful at the same time. Um, and, and people go to that and people need that for their lives thereby creating a, a society of empathy but you know it, it that's just not 
the rhythm or the infrastructures that we've put in place at the moment. Yeah, no, I think, you know, people should know you I mean you can create content that makes you think and question things without it being didactic or lecturing. Exactly. You know, it's not... Uh, I mean, you know, because, play, the, because there is entertainment that's didactic, and those are also just tr really placating their audience because they're just preaching to a choir. They're telling people what they already want to hear. Yeah. And so, I, in my mind, it's boring, yeah. you know. And you see that a lot with the uh, sort of Oscar contender movies. Yeah. They're all sort of geared to one issue or another, and they're just sort of preaching to the same They're just telling people, people what they want to hear. Yeah. I, I do think that there are movies that, that are challenging that do end up in the Oscar race sometimes. And frankly, there are movies that I just want to, like, go to the movie and, and have fun. So I don't, I don't, I'm not discounting that. I just think that that we are overrun with I just want to go to a movie and have fun I want to go to a movie and have my life changed or me think about my life in a different way or me help me to become a better person do you know and I don't think we have a lot of that yeah no, I saw have you seen dope yeah that's incredible I mean how that's left out of the uh, sort of Oscar race this yeah, year is you really know, surprising frankly, frankly dope I, mean, I had a different expectation going into dope when I saw it, I really liked it because I liked how they put it together. Yeah. But I feel like that there was actually a lot of opportunities that they missed. Uh, what do it. you think those were in a way? Okay, so I saw it the first week it came out, so it's been a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when did it come out? Early, what, May or? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, like this is yeah. a summer movie, right? Yeah. Um, so it's been a while, but if I remember correctly, I, I, did, I think that the movie. I think that the movie kind of had too much of a pat ending. It 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 it, want, it gave too much to its hero, without the hero really fighting for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sort of wrapped up the whole thing of him it tried to wrap drugs everything up. and like that was it. He was going to go to college. He was yeah. going to get out of the situation easier than yeah he could have. Been and I felt like that they were they were missing some major opportunities to make it more entertaining and to make it more thoughtful, in my in my, in my way in some way but I but again I don't want to discount I think the questions that it was asking yeah really interesting and that's the thing like I don't want to discount the movie because I do think that it was an interesting uh, and worthy film that people should see but you know I I I I, I, I felt pandered to sometimes when I watched them when I was watching the movie yeah yeah I can see that I mean it's just uh Sort of it asks certain questions, but then it can wrap it up a little too conveniently. It, it, I feel like it asked certain questions and then answered them. And I went, well, I don't agree with that answer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think that, I, I, I think that it, if, if it had asked, um, if it, it left the questions for me to answer, then I would have been more entertained by it. Yeah, but I think we should, you know, be striving for content like that. That really yeah. is... You know, showing people that, you know, there's yeah. this other experience, and this is what people Absolutely. have to deal with on a normal basis. Absolutely, so. and I and I and I really I applaud that that diversity in that way. And I, I mean, you know, and I, like I I this all sounds like I'm on this diatribe. There, like every movie, you have to think deeply about your life, and that's not true. There's there are projects that you know I work in comedy. I want to fucking laugh. You know what I mean? Um, and I and I want to just go and enjoy myself. 
I um, feel like Thirty Rock did that a lot. It was yeah. entertaining, but yet it was still sort of. But it was talking about what was what was happening right now, and it was yeah. right, and that and that's kind of the thing that I'm that I strive for, and that I was that I'm actually really happy to have been a part of Thirty Rock for, um, because it w- it was social commentary wrapped in a ridiculous you know zany you know package yeah um so i wanted to ask you sort of a question more related to acting in a sense just sort of being on a set Mm -hmm. um what is kind of your ideal dream director in terms of you know like do you like somebody who's sort of giving you Hmm. lots of notes somebody who's sort of at a distance letting you kind of play around with things if you had sort of a a dream director that you could create a wonderful question um I I would love a director that gave me space because in because ultimately you hired me to do a job to let me do my job but I also want that director to to help push me in the right way if I'm going astray because I'm very because just the nature of artists is that they can go in many different directions and they need a filter and they need somebody to push them and guide them in the right direction. So for me, I guess I guess I want a director who can kind of walk the line, who, who gives me enough notes to make me feel like I can give the performance that I know I'm capable of. Yeah, so it's sort of like trusting in the casting and then yeah. giving modifications throughout in a way. Yeah. And what for you would be kind of like the worst director scenario in a sense? A micromanager. Yeah. Micromanagers drive me crazy. Um, but on that same token, I've also worked with people who've given me nothing. And I felt like I was drowning or flying blind and I didn't... By nothing, do you mean just like... Like not action, that's it, you go, you yeah. restart. Um, so that's why it's about finding that balance. I guess I always just want to feel taken care of. That, that no matter what I do, I won't, they won't let people see me look foolish. And I think that every actor, that that's what every actor strives for. I don't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you ever wish you could like be in the editing room in a way and like pick the takes? And no. Is that ever? No. So when you like no. do the scene, you're not like, oh, I like take one better than take no. three or anything like that. I'm too vulnerable. I don't know what I don't I can't trust myself in that situation. I'm too vulnerable. I I would love to do a performance that you're proud of, that I'm proud of, that that works for the scene, that that um, that achieves what what you want and I want to turn to you and go, "Did you get everything you needed?" and a director going, "Yes," and we can move on. Um my brain doesn't work that literally if I'm directing myself probably but if I'm directing myself I'll I'm gonna see all the takes anyway so I'll I'll make a decision then yeah but if I'm just acting in a a project I I just want to trust I want the director to trust me and I want to trust the director and you know in a way it's it's the director is the one that's telling is the primary storyteller I'm a, I'm a tool, I'm a vehicle to help tell the story. 
So I just want you to use me in the way that that helps you tell your story. And I want to walk away from it and go, I hope I gave you everything that you needed. Have you ever had situations where maybe you have like an initial meeting with a director and they sort of talk a good game in a sense and then you get to the set and it's a completely different... Yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of... I mean, do you try to have a conversation with them and sort of see no, how you can I mean, adjust? You know, or? No, I mean, I, I... In every situation, my default is to trust the director. And if there, if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm doing something that that doesn't help your vision then I want you to tell me about it. You know, I don't want to just not be told anything. I mean, I want to I help tell the story. Um, and so if you decided to change your mind and this is the way the story should be told now versus what I told you about before, nine times out of ten I'm going to trust you and just go in that direction. I'm never going to do anything that is inauthentic to me, that portrays me or my race in a bad way um, so uh, as long as we're, we understand that yeah. I trust the director to tell the story that he wants to tell even if he changes his mind in the middle of it is there um, any sense for you a difference between directors you've encountered in the theater versus in film? Is there any sense that maybe film directors are more technical? In a yeah, way, I mean, or? you know, film directors are a little bit more technical, but um, I've met very technical theater directors. Um, so in a general sense, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's variations in each genre. I don't see a difference. I think that, it, you know, I got my degree in directing. And the, the, the thing that I hammered, that, that was always hammered home for me when I was going through the program was the director's number one job is to tell a story. And if you're telling a story, that is the, and you're doing everything at your disposal to make sure that the story is being told, then it doesn't matter if you if you're overly technical or underly technical or don't know anything about a fucking camera, um, as long as you're as long as you're doing the things that help to tell the story, yeah. you can do television, film, or theater. Yeah, and you're just communicating with the crew, communicating with you the have actors, to be able to I mean, communicate that's... how to tell the story in the way that you want to tell it. Um, so that's an important tool, but you know Alfred Hitchcock was a terrible communicator with his actors, but he was also an amazing director. Yeah, and he basically pre-shot the whole movie in yeah. his head, in a way. Yeah. He edited the whole thing. He edited, he, well, he edited within <laughs> camera, yeah. which was fascinating. But, you know, like, you know, he often emotionally tortured his actors. <laughs> and, but, and so, you know, he wasn't the greatest communicator in that way, but maybe that was the way he felt like he needed to tell the story. As long as... I don't want to be emotionally abused... But have you had directors who whose way of communicating was yelling or just yeah. maybe they didn't know how to handle stress so they just started yeah. screaming at everybody the crew the actors yeah. I've had that I've had those and and at those times I shut down because that's not do you try a to, way to communicate talk back to me. or do you just kind of like I'm gonna take a well, step I don't know back and I mean it have their moment in it a just, way or? it depends on the situation I'm just there to tell the story yeah um, and so if. Uh, I'm a pretty, I'm a, I mean, you know, um, I'm a pretty uh, stoic guy on sets. Like, I, I try 
to just come in and do my job and go home. Um, on 30 Rock, I, you know, I was on that set for seven years, so I started, you know, being a little bit more personable and, like, you know, treating it more as a family and than that. But for the most part, I just try to do my job. And if somebody doesn't appreciate that job or is screaming and yelling um, and, or communicating in a way that I that does not speak to me, then I normally shut down and I normally just go, you know, um, I will just give me a line reading so I can go home. You know, what's fascinating. It's just, um, (laughs) from working out a lot of sets, it's like, you would think that the set is treated like an office environment. Yeah. No no one tends to do that. You know, you would think that it's like a workplace, but yeah, you know, I mean, like, I, I feel like too many, well, you know, I don't know. Sets are like, it, it, in a way, it is an art form. Actors are there and they're vulnerable. Directors are there and they're supposed to have all the answers and they don't and they can't. It's just not humanly possible, right? Yeah. So you're talking about a lot of fragility on a set. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you can't then use it as a workplace because it's not just business as usual. You're talking about things that are completely subjective in an environment that is all about ego. And I'm not t- saying ego in a bad way. I'm saying ego, like, like just making sure that you want to show up on set and do a good job. You want people to like you. Because it's going to be out there forever. Right. Yeah. Whatever you're doing. You're exposed in a way. And so you, 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 you can't just treat it as type, put in these numbers, be polite, go get coffee on your <laughs> coffee break. You know, like, you, it, there is an emotional aspect to it. At the end of the day, maybe also you have to make your you yeah. have to make your shots. So maybe sometimes that conflict can breed more creativity in a way. Correct. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you you have to like get all your shots in, and so there is a sense of there's a t- there's a clock, and you're costing the corporate you know corporations money when you're just sitting around feeling. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there is a, a sense that like that that you have to get a that your job has to you have to do your job. Yeah. And that you have to make your day, right? And and um I I'm, for people who don't know what making their your day is, it's you know, every day you have a certain number of uh, of scenes that you have to shoot. And making your day is just, you know, completing all the things that you needed to complete that day. And it's such a, a major thing, in, especially in television, making your day. Because you don't get a scene done, you've pushed back an entire production and you've wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's really, it's a, it's a big problem not making your day yeah. so you have more pages to shoot than on a feature film and there's just so generally more that's kind of i mean uh, generally you have more pages to shoot on a feature film it depends on the project sometimes but i mean mo- mostly i mean i did um a big studio movie um night at the museum and i think we shot like three and a half pages a day and 30 rock averaged about seven or eight pages a day wow Three and a half pages. It's yeah. It must been like a, like a six-day shoot or something. It was, it was luxurious. <laughs> I was there for a month, and my my final screen time, like probably 
added up to like four or five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, I mean, like, I don't know. It depends on the project, I think. But generally, movies um, spend more time on, on pages than, than, than TV shows. Yeah. Um, this related to Keith broke his leg when you knew that you wanted to step out and make this. Were you thinking about marketing and releasing it and how you would do that? And um, was I was also wondering, is there a reason why you didn't choose YouTube as opposed to Vimeo? There is. There is a reason. Um, I gave a lot of thought. I, I, I sat on the project for a while before releasing it. Oh, you mean it was finished for Yeah, it was finished for about two or three months. And... Um, we originally had a, a release date and then we pushed that release date back because we were trying to figure out how to get it out to the public in a way that would be that would that people would respond to and we're still kind of figuring it out I mean we're fucking around and, and who knows like you know I mean it's, we're still trying to find an audience so it's never going to be a perfect launch right but um, but yeah, I had a, I had a, you know I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about strategy and and, and releasing it, and um, in that in those conversations, a lot of people um, advocated for me to put it on YouTube. I find YouTube to be kind of like the Wild West. I I find YouTube not to knock that, but I find YouTube to be like broadcast. Uh, like ABC, NBC, CBS, yeah. and I find Vimeo to be like cable. Um, it's a smaller audience, but it's a much more passionate audience. It's much more focused on filmmaking rather than focused on branding. And I thought that, and I thought you know, Keith broke his leg is a slow show. It's a the pace of the show is not louder, faster, funnier. Uh, the pace of the show is is pretty. Um, measured and I felt like the Vimeo audience would understand that more yeah and uh, is there a monetization uh, system on Vimeo now or is it there is um, uh, but I'm not doing that uh, I'm making it completely free Uh, but there is on Vimeo there's a paywall I think you can you can put up but uh, I don't want to do that so is your yeah. goal to turn this into sort of like a half-hour comedy or to... I don't know. Um, at the moment, I want to tell these stories. Uh, I think that it's important for this show to be out there because I think that it's, it, it, the primary you know, mission statement of the show is, is to reveal truth within yourself and within other people. And I think that that's an important mission statement that needs to go out to the world. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, there has been a production company that has expressed interest in, in, in helping to develop it so that we can pitch it to networks. I'm going to go, I'm going to explore that road, but, yeah. but I don't know if it's, if it's ultimately what's going to serve the project. I'm ju- I've just started having those conversations. Um, and are you planning to shoot more episodes, uh, like you were saying, you're, you're going to release more coming up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm releasing, I'm, I, you know, the current plans are that at least six more episodes are going to be released. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to probably just do another season the exact way, and I've done it now. Same crew size, same practice. Yeah. yeah. 
um, and and try to knock out twelve more episodes. So the first season will be twelve episodes. We've released eight so far, so I'll release four more, and then um, Series Fest, which is a a, a web festival, um, has asked me to do a twenty-two minute episode. So after the after the twelve that I release, I will then I'm I'm in the process now of writing a twenty-two minute episode. Awesome. And then after that, I'm gonna probably I might. Is that like a film festival type of? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it? it's the it, the festival is it's a brand new festival. It's out in in, in Colorado. I love them. There, it I, I I participated in it last year, and they it, it was one of the best uh, festival experiences I ever had. It's just because they care so much about the pro the projects that come into the festival. Um. Um. And so they asked me to do this this thing for next year, um, and and it's and it's all independent pilots that um, get put in front of networks for developing opportunities and things like that. Oh, that's awesome! I really yeah. didn't know that kind of. So there is like a world out there. There you is can a world of make that. your own content and yeah. you try to pitch it, and it's not just a sizzle reel; it's like full episodes yeah. that you can get out there. New York Television Festival is is the biggest, I think, festival for that. I also participated in that festival once. I really loved them, and I really loved being a part of that festival. And you know, Series Fest is another one. I know that there's a couple more independent. There's an independent television festival in Vermont. That's a big. Yeah, festival. I heard about that one. That's uh, supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, I was curious. Lastly, um, how important do you think it is for actors, writers, directors um, to be self-starters and getting projects going, as opposed to sort of waiting? something to come to them I think it's of the utmost importance and especially in this uh, this current um, environment um, for artists uh, because so much so much of art has now become democratized that it's been put into the hands of you know anybody can make anything look beautiful and and be beautiful that that it's now about the limitations of your creativity rather than the limitations of the tools with which to make the things that you want to make. And, and so I think that, that young artists definitely today need to start thinking about creating for themselves. Um, or at the very least, honing and understanding what makes you unique and interesting and 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 putting that out into the world yeah. yeah do you think it's any different for actors than writers and directors in a sense do you think it's even no. more important for them to i think it's all important equally important i don't think that the answer is always for an actor the answer is always to write something for themselves um that is an answer to, for a lot of actors that i think that is important um, but I don't think that that is the go-to answer. I think that actors can be creative in terms of how they can put their work out into the world, if, especially if they're not, they don't consider themselves writers. Um, so yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, actors can write and direct, and if that's what they want to do, then great, and directors can act whatever whatever it is that that puts your uniqueness out into the world you need to find how to do it i think
and that, and there's any number of ways for you for for one to to um, achieve that goal. It's just that's the fight. Yeah, and I think now it's so easy to get your content out there, but then you have to also master kind of social media and all these. And that drives me crazy, to, uh, dude. I mean, <laughs> frankly, it drives me crazy. I'm terrible at all of that, and um, you know, that's the fight that I'm having now. You know, because I've created this show, and I don't know what, I, and I'm still figuring out the, the the way to make sure that the most amount of people can see it. And is that through just social media, advertising, mm -hmm. getting yeah. word out there any way you can? But you know, like I put the show out there, and then people started coming to me and saying, I, I can be of service, I can help you with social media and things like that. And I go, great, because I need help. <laughs> you know? like, um, um, but, you know, I mean, the show still hasn't reached the audiences that I, that I hope for, you know. Yeah. Is it also sort of like, do you have like management team that kind of helps you navigate yeah. that at all? Or? And when I so talk about we, when I say we, when, you know, putting the show together, it's my manager and I put the show together his last name is also Powell but we're not related especially if you set us next to each just other ironic you, yeah it's just <laughs> ironic so like um, you know Locke his name is Locke Locke and I sit down and have these conversations about like well what's the best way to put it out into the world and how do we get people to you know run stories about it or or do the interviews about it there's another producer on the project named Cynthia who you know it's her entire job um, to kind of see how the, the the community at large can can engage with the show so there there are those mechanisms in place but you know we're it, we're like mad scientists we're just trying to figure it out yeah. along with everybody else. I guess you with all these digital companies are all experimenting and figuring out yeah. how it all works because now that the internet can come into your TV yeah. it's completely changed the landscape yeah. of how people can get internet content. Exactly. And that's and that's really and that is you know that's the fight that we're always trying to you know is trying to stay ahead of the curve in a way or it's not even stay ahead of the curve ride the curve right? Because you know um, you can put um you know, you can put a whole bunch of content onto Netflix, but unless they're, you know, unless Netflix is the the, sh the thing that everybody's looking at, no one's going to yeah. care. There has to be that awareness out there yeah. for anything. Yeah. Uh, so the best way to see it would be KeithBrokeHisLeg.com? Or am I no. getting the, am I getting uh, the website You can go wrong? to KeithBrokeHisLeg.com. <laughs> it'll redirect you to, because uh, I did buy that domain name, but uh, it'll redirect you to GetBroken. Oh, bro GetBroken.com. GetBroken.com.